0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Third and two. Here comes Weissman with a hole and a touchdown! Iowa right back! After a fantastic drive, and into the top 10 in Iowa history goes Weissman in touchdowns, his 19th as a Hawkeye. Remember, they had five offensive plays of 20-plus yards all season. They had a 44-yarder in the first half, and how about this incredible Center top 10 nominee play by Damon Powell to set up the score?
1: Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our weekly reporter's notebook podcast this week featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' come-from-behind road win over the Pittsburgh Panthers, previews the Purdue game, and talks Big Ten. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Purdue's Daryl Hazel. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times and KGYM's Tyler Chilmeland. The Iowa Pitt game highlights are courtesy of ESPNU, with announcers Adam Amina and John Jimmy We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefense Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefense. <laughs> Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who spent much of this week addressing questions relating to the Hawkeyes' situation at quarterback, with Jake Rudock's injury late in the first half at Pitt, and CJ Bethard's solid performance in the second half for Iowa's comeback win. Ferentz talks about how Rudock stayed fully engaged in that game and supportive of Bethard after halftime.
2: You guys have been around him. This this guy's not your average parent now. I mean, this is... Exceptional young man. You know, going back to his organic chemistry test last year and all that stuff. I mean, you know, Jake Jake is just really wired the way you would want a player to be wired, any player, but especially a quarterback. And uh but it was really the same thing last week. And I'll, I'll go back uh, you know, last week you had Lomax Tutor and Gare trying to help him get ready. And I remember Stanzi uh, when he went down, you know, in nine you know, he's he's up here after surgery, you know, the same night, with uh, Vandenberg trying to get him ready. So you know, when you have good people on your team, that, that's what I think uh, I don't want to say it's a tradition here, but we've been Fortunate, we've had a lot of good people. We've got high-character guys, and they're they're all about the team. Yeah, they're they're not worried about you know, their own little deals. Kirk was
1: asked to explain what goes into deciding on who starts, especially at quarterback.
2: Well, like a year ago, is really when it, the decision got made. We had to make one, and um, that point, it's it's a cute. It's like every player on our team. You know, everybody's got a log going, and uh, you put the little things in the plus column. You put them in the in the the minus column, and uh, you know you just judge everything. We, but we evaluate everything. Just you know, not only practice. Practice, but I mean everything it goes into it. At that position, you want guys that are really dependable and you can really trust because they, they've got a lot of responsibility. But the good news is, you know, we, we found out about Jake last year. I think I think we found out early that he's a guy that that can play at a, a real high level and we can win with. And then due to injury to Jake, we we found the same thing about CJ. So uh, again, it's a really unusual situation, but we felt pretty good about both guys uh, coming out of the late year last year. And the, the good news is now that uh, you know when we have them both healthy, we have a really good situation.
1: Spark has been a word often heard this past week, referencing what fans perceived when Bethard came into the pit game. I asked Kirk if from the sidelines he sensed any difference in the way the offensive players reacted to and interacted with Bethard as opposed to Jake.
2: No, and I, I'm sure you guys have already asked our guys and, and we'll do again today but I, I think our players they're, they're like coaches you know they uh, there's a lot of fuel involved in anything you do uh, in athletics and certainly I think um, confidence gets earned uh, through performance and through what you do and our players know a lot more about what guys do than outsiders would and so you know I don't want to speak for other people but I, I think I'm safe in saying our players have total confidence just like the coaches do in both quarterbacks and that that's really a good thing but they've earned it they, they've worked hard they they've Played tough, you know. Beathard threw that one yesterday, or Saturday, where he was going to get a mouthful, and that was a huge throw in the game. To me, that was his best play. You know, when when a quarterback takes one, you know, takes a shot and gets right up. I mean, you know, I can promise you, linemen love that. Everybody else responds to that. The defensive guys love it, and typically on good teams, you know, the defensive guys respect the good good quarterbacks as much as uh, offensive guys do. That that's something you earn. You know, you earn it through practice, but also in the on the game field.
1: Ferentz was asked about the progress of his team through the non-conference portion. Of- of the schedule.
2: You know, we kind of looked at this as a five-week block, and it's, it's a weird schedule. We got five, two, five. So our focus has been on the first five. You know, running that race as well as we can, and, and uh, we've had some highs, we've had some lows. Probably collectively, the, the second half minus the first carry they had. That, that's kind of more what we're looking for. So you know, but that's we haven't done it consistently the way we want. You know, we, we got a lot of growth here to to still make, and that that's exciting because we can get a lot better. And the other things I'm I'm enthused about are uh, optimistic. Optimistic about we have really good a good group of players they work extremely hard they're very conscientious and they've got high character so those are all positive things but we can play a lot better and that's that's where we got to get to and Ference
1: talks about purdue and the transition going on in west lafayette under second year head coach daryl hazel and particularly how quarterback danny etling is progressing
2: two things that just jump out like you know it's, it's um, i read that this morning about the the points off turnovers you know they're doing a really good job there and that, that's good team football if you get a turnover and convert it into points that's a really good, uh, that's just a good sign, good indicator. And then, the, the, you know, anytime you, they made the, the uh, decision last year, not on, as our call, it was not a clear-cut one, but, um, you know, they ended up going with uh, Danny Utlain as a true freshman. And, and we knew him very well. Uh, he's a really good player in high school, really good player. You know, so they made the decision, and, and now there's so much further down the road than when we played him. You know, and I, I can't remember how many games he had started when we played him, but it wasn't, I guess, uh, I don't even remember. But uh, it's just a world of difference, especially when he, a first-year player has to start. That's not easy. So I don't work there, but I'm just imagining like last spring, this summer, for, for their offensive staff to play with a guy who really understands the language and understands what they're trying to get accomplished, that's a good thing. And then they've got some guys that are. you know, They've got a big offensive line. They've got excellent tight ends. They've got uh, two backs that are very very quick. And then they uh, ran their younger guy uh, the other day, and, and he's an excellent running back. So they've yeah you know, they've got some and they've got a good group of receivers. Uh, they've been very very productive and, and doing a good job. So they, they've got all the makings. It's just a matter now of putting things together and pushing forward. But I think I think they're making strides right now. And certainly Saturday they looked really good.
1: Next, we hear from Boilermakers head coach, Daryl Hazel, who was asked about Iowa's quarterbacks. I'm not sure what they're going to do at quarterback
3: situation. They played them both, and they both look very similar. Throw it kind of the same. They make the same decisions. Uh, I think we just got to go go prepare for one of them, whichever one that is, and they're they're very similar. So I think uh, there's not a huge difference. It's not like you're preparing for a running guy or uh, just a drop back guy. I think they're very similar in their actions.
1: Hazel talks about Purdue's improved pass rush.
3: I think the biggest thing for us now up front we're able to play seven people up there, and those guys are rotating in, four on the outside, three on the inside, and those guys are staying fresh, and they're able to get some penetration up the field, and they're, they're really collapsing the pocket from the outside as you watch the film. Both those ends are really doing a nice job collapsing the, the edges, allowing Ryan to get some of those sacks. Hazel was asked how big a game this is for his Purdue team and his program. This is a big game for our program for a lot of different reasons. I think that being able to Uh, play a good opponent in our stadium and um, play well try to get the desired outcome i think that's huge for our program i I think we're playing with a lot more confidence right now and they feel pretty good about themselves it's about being precise with those um, possessions that you have i I think you have to be very efficient but the big thing for this football game is you can't turn it over because you'll be in the game at the end if you don't so we have to make sure we're we're smart and and making good decisions as, as we call plays offensively and not going too crazy Hazel discusses Iowa's offense and how his defense matches up. The last two weeks, uh, they, they buttoned it down. They went to two tight end sets, two back sets, and they're running zone. They're going to run lead zone. They're going to run split zone. They're going to run zone with one back, and they're going to play action passes. You know, I was watching the film. And I was thinking, man, I'm looking at when I was back at Army because they're going to throw it eight to ten times a game, but those gonna, those throws that they make are going to be down-the-field throws. They're waiting for you to have poor eye discipline so they can hit those guys open. Uh, wide open uh, off those play action passes so we have to do a great job of creating penetration defensively and then making sure we have great eye discipline in the back end
1: and hazel talks about his team's progress thus far this season
3: well i think we're much better i think we're improving by the day by the minute uh, and we need to keep getting better but uh, i think we're playing much better team defense team offensive line play, I think that's where we're making the strides that you can see week in and week out. We're improving. Uh, obviously, you, you stopped your toe a little bit a couple weeks ago, but I think we're improving in every phase, uh, and that's the key. As long as we can continue to get better in every element, I think that uh, that will uh, suit us well as we continue to move forward. These guys enjoy being around each other. They're hungry still. I think they're understanding what wins, what's starting to win football games and the lack of turnovers and the lack of penalties. And uh, they're starting to become a, a little bit smarter each and every week.
0: Weissman got the handoff and powered his way in for an Iowa touchdown and the first Hawkeye lead of the day. That's three drives under CJ Beathard. You get a touchdown, a field goal, and a touchdown just in this half alone. They've done a nice job of moving the football here in the second half. Weissman's been the the key component to that. Fourth down conversions on that drive a couple for Iowa including one from Weissman and the Hawkeyes on the road where they had four wins a season ago on the road the most since 2009. Time
1: now for our weekly reporter's notebook show this week with Scott Doctorman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog Doc's Office. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Pitt game, previews Purdue, reports on the Big Ten, and more. Scott, a big come-from-behind win in Pittsburgh against the Pitt Panthers last weekend. I think a, a very important game and second-half performance for this team and this program at this time. Two completely different halves in that game. Some other interesting things. Three for three again for a Ferentz team on fourth down. Six of seven on the season. That's almost unbelievable. A little bit of reemergence by Mark Wiseman and uh, two rushing touchdowns for him. But Pittsburgh was, at least in the first half, really impressive offensively and completely dominated the Hawkeyes.
4: Yeah, it really was a tale of two halves. It was, uh, you know, the first half, as you mentioned, I mean, it was a dominant effort by Pittsburgh. They reminded me a lot of the old. Uh Wisconsin teams that we saw with Paul Crist and uh, you know certainly at the, the last couple of years there they're very good under Crist and Bielma so you know James Connor is all up 250 pounds kind of reminded me of an Eddie George maybe not quite as quick but certainly as powerful and uh, he, that gave Iowa some problems also what we saw were a lot of the blocks along the line of scrimmage some of the combination blocks or double teams on guys like Carl Davis were really effective and uh, what happened was a lot of the linebackers who still are pretty inexperienced uh, were Getting kind of trapped among those blocks and, and really weren't getting good shots, which allowed uh, Connor to get to the second level and beyond. So, but what we saw in the second half on defense was an ability to um, to stunt those, to, to actually take on the double teams, to maintain gap control, which allowed more free flowing movement to the football. James Connor, you know, started the he had the 100 yards in the first half. Started the second half with the 24 yard run, which immediately made you go, okay, we know where this one's headed. To uh, the rest of the game, he was the 31 yards. And Iowa's defense did an admirable job of, of holding him down and holding the offense down and allowing just three points the rest of the game. So I think the game was truly won or swayed on the defensive end of things, which in turn allowed the offense to catch up and, uh, and, and pull out the victory.
1: Another important fact in that game was the performance by Marshall Kane. Again, five touchbacks. He leads the nation now in that category and a very important 52-yard field goal.
4: Yeah, and then I think what you look at it, you know, he's really grown in confidence. You know, he he was a guy that you know you could tell he was pressing a little bit in the first couple of games. Uh, you know, when you're missing those close field goals, making games too close, that's that's a real problem for him and for the team. But but you know, really kind of rushing out there against Iowa State and kicking that field goal in the last few seconds, and then backing it up with a 50-plus field goal, which hasn't been kicked since uh, Nate Kading here at Iowa. It's shown that he's got that kind of leg. And as you mentioned, 16 of his 19 kickoffs have gone to, for touchbacks. That's uh, that's a real weapon there. I talk about punters all the time about this, which is, you know, a, a good punter, the difference between a good punter and a mediocre punter is one first down per, per possession by the way they kick. Same thing goes for somebody like this, where it's not as immediate because guys don't necessarily break the 25 that often. But um, if you can kick the ball out of the end zone, you spare your special teams from any kind of damage. He's done that now. And, and this week will be a real test of that. But that said, uh, you know, Marshall Kane appears to be somewhat fixed at this point, which is a good thing.
1: Three teams in a row now, if you count Purdue coming in, where they have terrific kick returners. So that certainly takes that aspect away from them. It's not often that a defense, especially a good defense against the run like the Hawkeyes have traditionally had, will face a combination of a 275-pound fullback blocking for a 250-pound running back. That's That even exceeds Wisconsin standards.
4: <laughs> yeah. And if you look up front, I mean, they average 318 pounds. They are, and they're a very young team in Pittsburgh. Uh, This is a team that I expect will contend for, uh, you know, an upper-middle-level bull in the ACC this year. But in another year or two, you know, when they come to Kinnick next year, for instance, they're going to be a formidable opponent in that league and for other teams. And I think based on Tyler Boyd, the wide receiver, the offensive line, the running back, I was not that impressed with the quarterback. I thought he at least got the ball the wide receivers, but he was really locked in on one, on Tyler Boyd, but I think that this is a team that, that certainly the best that Iowa has faced and conversely, Iowa played its best game and it wasn't even close not only pulling out the win, but the style so, you know, usually, you know with Iowa, when they played Wisconsin in the, fa- in the past, or other teams that like to grind it out, they're able to, to usually neutralize that in the first half, that wasn't the case, but in the second half, Iowa was able to, to hold them to 53 yards rushing, and that includes the the 24-yard run. So you're looking at, you know, the rest of the half, they really shut it down, and and that was really crucial in the Spur on the Hawkeyes.
1: Well, let's get to what seems to be the primary topic of conversation coming out of that game, which leads directly into this weekend's game against Purdue, the quarterback controversy. Jake Rudock played well in the first half, at least when Iowa's offense was able to have the ball in its hands, and it was clear, I think, to most of us that Greg Davis had opened up the playbook a bit more last weekend, especially in terms of vertical passing, but then it had a some kind of a soft tissue injury. C.J. Beathard comes in the second half, has a terrific performance, also vertical passing, very effective at it, and now we go into the Purdue game Who's the quarterback going to be?
4: I think you're looking at P.J. Beathard making his first start uh, at Iowa. Jake Rudock uh, is is quite the competitor. I mean, he's a tough kid. He's been hit repeatedly in his Iowa career, and generally gets back. Well, this time around, I don't think that's going to be the case. His hip is it appears to be uh, you know shutting him down. Kirk Ferentz said Tuesday that you know right now C.J. Beathard's your starter. Well, that's that's usually prophetic words from somebody like Kirk, and, and uh, I don't think it's a you know, even though you take away each one of their long passes, Beathard 62-yard to uh, Damon Powell, and then you, you take away Rudolph's pass to Matt Vandenberg, they both had the same amount of yards. <laughs> so it's kind of funny but, uh, but, but there's a perception, in it, and maybe there, it's a little true that Beathard is a throws the ball better with more authority down the field. And um, you know, certainly the team responded. I mean, they, he went seven of eight. He let them. Uh, they had four drives in the second half, and, and the first three were of value, and, and all three. Free, he led him to scores, and uh, a lot of that's cued by his, you know, not only his long pass to Powell, but just they seem to respond to him. Now Jake Rudock had uh, a little bit of bad luck. He had a long throw to Powell that he bobbled and turned into an interception. So that's a two. That's a difference between <laughs> good luck and bad luck, you could say. But but that said, I look for C J. Beathard to get his first start in a, an environment that's not necessarily hostile, that he's had success at, that Iowa certainly had success at, and I think uh, that then. It Takes you to the bye week, and that's when you know the minds will get together and try to figure out what's the best thing for the team moving forward.
1: I think most of us feel as if Jake would be starting if his health was okay. So what you're saying basically is that you think Beathard will start because Jake's really not going to be ready to go Saturday.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think that's where where it's headed right now. That uh, Jake, uh, is you know his hip um, might be a bit too much to overcome in the span of one week, and I think if you're looking at Iowa, and based on what happened on Saturday and and what's happened really all season long, for for Iowa, it's probably a a fairly decent scenario, which is now you get a chance to see what C.J. Beathard can do in the starter's role, in preparation, and how he executes on Saturday. And if he can move the team and do it effectively and do all the things that that Kirk Ferentz wants, I I don't think that you could sideline him beyond that. But that said, if if Rudolph was healthy, did he do anything that really cost him his job? job. I'm not really sure of that. So right now, I think it's, you know, you're, you're going to a place where, I and mean, we've said this before, a place you should win, but at the same time, it's, it's going to be a competitive Big Ten opening event, and, uh, and it gives uh, him a chance to, uh, you know, C.J. Beathard a chance to, to really compete at a high level.
1: The real looming problem would be if Jake truly can't play Saturday, and anything would happen to Beathard, then you're down to the ripping the red shirt off the true freshman.
4: That is a, that is a major question for this team and, and i asked a question a few weeks ago of, of this which is what would happen if this say this scenario came up comes up did Jake Rudolph cannot play under any circumstances. And something simple like uh, Beathard's helmet went off for one play. Do you want to burn a redshirt for a freshman quarterback for one play? That would be tough to justify, in my opinion. So do they have any constituencies? Do they have any, okay, if this happens, Damon Bullock will run the wildcat on one play. Something like that. I think that would be that's kind of interesting to see uh, if that plays out. If it's for an extended period of time, if, say, it's an injury or what have you then, you, then you've got a really interesting situation because you've got a true freshman that you're expecting to lead a, a team like this. Now, from the very, very small amount of views I've had of Tyler Wiegers, I think he's got a lot of potential, but, but to suggest that he's able to lead a team in big Ten competition to several wins or, or uh, it, it is right now a little bit preposterous.
1: One interesting stat about Iowa's quarterbacks, the duo of Jake Rudock and C.J. Bethard have combined for over a 68% completion percent which is the highest in the Big Ten. This weekend's game is, of course, the Big Ten opener for both Iowa and Purdue. At Purdue, it's homecoming and varsity P weekend. And Purdue's hosted Iowa numerous times for its homecoming and has a pretty good record against the Hawkeyes over there in those games. It's a team that parents talked about on Tuesday, and if you look at their stats, clearly is the case it's improved substantially from last year to this season, but Purdue still has plenty of problems.
4: <laughs> well, you know, it, it's again, it's, it's like uh, you look at the measure of improvement and how could you not improve? I mean, you know, there was the worst team. You know, honestly, Purdue might have been one of the worst teams I've seen in Big Ten in the last 20 years, uh, last year. And, and they they ranked 116th against the run, 105th in total total offense or total defense, and you, you looked at, you know, they, they – Gave up 38 points a game, which was a school record, and then they scored less than 15 points a game, which was the worst in 25 years. So I mean, this is this was a team that you know just by fielding a few new people, they can be better. So the statistics do bear that out. They are a little bit improved and, of course, they have two, two wins versus one. But that said, you know, the, the first game, you know, they got they, they were able to beat Western Michigan, a team we saw last year, but, but then they were thoroughly dominated by Central Michigan, by 38-17, to 17. you know, and Central Michigan was able to virtually do what it needed to do to win that game in easy fashion, so on both sides of the ball. You know, and then Purdue played a really tough game against Notre Dame, but but I'll argue and say that they always do that. That's kind of their game that they always play. Like you know, on the last week, they just overmatched a Southern Illinois squad. So I expect them to have more familiarity with their offense with somebody like Danny Etling, who has a lot of talent. Iowa was really interested in, and they've got a, a really strong tandem of running backs in like Akeem Hunt and Raheem Mostart. And I think they got a couple of good wide receivers in Anthrop and Nancy. But at the same time, up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage was where they were really not very good last year, and I want to see how they do against Iowa. If they can make strides there, they have the potential to be a semi-dangerous team in the Big Ten because of the speed that they have at their skill positions. But that line was just so bad last year on both sides of the line of scrimmage that it's hard to really fathom that they'll be able to take that to another level where they are uh, you know, are in contention for even a low-level bowl
1: game. Yeah, and they have one of the youngest O-lines in the conference. Purdue leads the overall series. 46, 35 and three. But Iowa's won three of the last four games, and of course they ended up winning fairly easily last year in West Lafayette after a pretty close contest in the first half.
4: Yeah, it was it was tight for a while, and then Iowa kind of broke it open late in the second quarter, and then ultimately just steamrolled them with three hundred and sixty-two yards. Uh, Jordan Cantieri had his best game as an Iowa back and won thirty-eight to fourteen. It, it was a fairly decisive win in the second half, and uh, it, it was one that I you know that really you talk about the reverses of 2012. I mean, that was one of the more difficult losses for Iowa when they lost 27-24 to 24 in the last-second field goal against a Purdue team they felt like they, they could beat. And then also last year, Iowa was able to become bowl eligible by winning at Purdue. And um, this, is, this is an interesting trial. I mean, Iowa now has won three straight road games, counting the Pittsburgh game, going all the way back to Purdue. And uh, in this series is filled with some more interesting moments that people don't really realize, I mean, this is the 85th meeting between the two schools. That's Iowa's third longest most played series. In 1930, when Iowa was briefly kicked out of the Big Ten for a slush fund, Purdue was the only team to volunteer to play Iowa. So these teams played every, almost virtually every year since in 1910. They've, they've skipped a few years here and there, but, but now they're in the same division, and it's, it's a kind of an interesting series that uh, one time, <laughs> you know, Purdue had won, what, 20 straight, so uh, there, there's some history there. It's just right now it's not if you rank iowa's rivals in the big 10 it would be at or near
1: the bottom after this break scott talks a lot more purdue plus the big 10 and the Ferrance era at iowa Hawkeye Stories, features, and blogs in The Gazette and The Quad City Times. you point to Purdue's struggles last year, they come into this Big Ten game having allowed opposing running backs to top 100 yards in nine straight Big Ten games. Now again, this is a a different defense and an improving defense, but what do you look for Iowa to do offensively or try to do against this defense? It seemed as if there was more of an identity and a consistency to the Hawkeyes offense last week at Pitt, even in the first half. So are we beginning to See that evolve, and and where are we heading here with the running backs? I think. Well, we've what well, we've seen the last couple of weeks is Iowa shortened down its
4: running game to three players primarily, and then last week it went more to two. And that was Jordan Canzari and Mark Wiseman. And then the second half it was exclusively Wiseman, who ran for 88 yards. It was his type of game: big, physical, tough team, gaining really a couple of yards at a time, not much more. But I think what you're going to see is what Iowa wants to do is kind of perfect that. Um, it's running style. It is, uh, it needs to be a running physical football team. It needs to be balanced. I think that's what they strive for. I think that's what you're going to try to see, is, especially when you're, you know, going up against a team that's averaged almost 150 yards on the ground and really only played one higher-level opponent. So, that said, you know, I, I think Iowa's also going to try to, to move the ball through the air to get some balance there. And and whether that's C.J. Beathard or Jake Ruddock, and right now it really falls, signs point to C.J. Beathard getting the ball down the field and uh, making plays that way will open up the run, and uh, and then I, I expect to see you know both Kanzeri and, and Wiseman have some pretty good days because you know, Kanzeri, I, I want to say, had a, more than 160 yards last year against them, and then you also look at what they did as a team, and that's exactly what Iowa wants to do.
1: Yeah, to your point, 15 Hawkeyes have caught at least one pass this year, and 10 or more have receptions in each of the three wins, so probably looking more for spreading the ball around in the passing game and, and narrowing down who's going to be on the field as running backs?
4: Well, yeah. I mean, I think offensively, if you strive for balance, you know, a 60-40 run-to-pass ratio is probably preferred. However, uh, you know, that's not usually realistic. So I think what they're going to try to do is is make sure that they get the ground game going against a defense that's been susceptible to that, and then also maybe play action off of that and and, and get the ball down the field. Whether it's a matter of hitting, you know, the multiple cadre of receivers that they have, or is it just a matter of it doesn't matter who catches it as long as somebody does and moves it forward, I could just see, I, I think they should incorporate their tight ends a little bit more, and, uh, and also, again, they have some weapons to hit down the field.
1: Iowa and Purdue have two of the top receiving tight ends in the Big Ten, and Purdue's tight end, Justin Sins, actually leads the conference right now with 16 catches. Uh, Jake Doozy is uh, number two at, with 12 catches. The tight
4: end, will, as always, is important for both teams, but I think, really, it's probably more of a secondary option. I think it's just more of a matter of Iowa wanting to run the football and then going outside of that. They do have, you know, four capable tight ends, which we've talked about for a while here, but you know Henry Kriegel Koble caught a touchdown last week. That was uh that was really important for him and his confidence because he dropped a you know a pretty tight one, I believe it was against Ball State a couple weeks ago. And then you, you look at uh you know, Ray Hamilton and Jake Doozy both of them have had their moments as well. So I expect them to be heavily used. Uh, Purdue, you know, same thing. Uh, they they've got they're trying to become more of a balanced team they're trying to be kind of what Ohio State was a little bit under trestle you when you don't have the offensive line for that its it's really a tough go but with that said you know they're making that effort and they got to sustain it because they were a completely different style of football under you know certainly Joe Tiller and then a little bit of Danny hope before Danny got fired so I expect them to use all of their weapons in in interesting ways but at the same time I expect them to be focused primarily on uh, <laughs> anything with success and probably well, That's going to sort of start with Raheem Mostar.
1: When you look at the game notes for both teams and the stats in the season, another kind of funny thing that jumps out at you is Iowa's. And we talked about this earlier. Iowa leads a Big Ten in fourth down conversions at six and seven, six out of seven. Purdue's defense has yet to allow a fourth down conversion, and conversely, Purdue's offense leads the conference in fourth down attempts, but they've only made it four out of eleven times. Yeah,
4: that is a that is an interesting stat there, John. But you know the, the fact is that they. haven't have to go for it 11 times on fourth down because they're 2-2 two and two and they've lost to a MAC team, <laughs> you know, unlike, you know, uh, you know Iowa, and Iowa has went for it seven times, which is near the top, but, you know, they're also six of seven, and last week they went three for three on fourth down, and, and a lot of that was to send a message to the team, you know, they took risks, they allowed their team to take care of it, and, and it seemed to uh, really pay off for Iowa.
1: When Iowa's offense is on the field, who are likely to be Purdue's best defensive performers, the people they have to look at? Out for the most.
4: Well, I think number one, you look at uh, you know linebacker Sean Robinson, you know the big dog's uh, son. I mean, he's a pretty good linebacker, a veteran leader, tight. They really need somebody to do that and, and to step up for them, and, and he's he's provided that spark right now on that side of the ball. And then then you look, you know, they've got. Pretty good up yep, up front. You got Ryan Watson, one of the better uh, uh, top sackers in the league. I believe he has four right now. You know, as a defensive tackle, and then you know Frank Williams. I believe is the uh, safety. You know, he's kind of a dual threat guy. He averages six tackles a game, and uh, you know he also returns punts. So uh, those are the guys you kind of got to watch out for. And then they they also have another Pogle <laughs> which again he went to uh, Purdue and not Indiana, but seems like that name is just attached. to Football in the Big Ten um, in that state, so I'm sure. And and then the last guy I've really liked for a long time, Landon Feichter. He's he's been a key interceptor, uh, for lack of a better term, over the years. And I could he could cause some problems at free safety. But but this year you don't have to worry about guys like Bruce Gaston or Ricardo Allen and and others. They they've since gone. So their defense is also in a kind of a transition. And I think that's where they may struggle.
1: Switching to the other side of the ball, Iowa's defense versus. Purdue's offense. You've talked about their sophomore quarterback Danny Etling, who's who is very good. You mentioned their one wideout, Danny Anthrop, who leads Purdue in receptions. Their duo of running backs that are pretty darn good turned into a trio last week when Keontae Green, as a redshirt freshman, saw his first time on the field and and racked up some good stats in the fourth quarter in that game.
4: Yeah, they do have three young. There are three good running backs, and uh, you know, I and again, Akeem Hunt and Raheem. Mostart are two guys you really have to watch out for because of their speed. mostart is the guy, you know, he was the Big Ten male track athlete of the year. He won the 100 and 200, was a second team All-American, and he also returns kicks. So he's a guy that can go the distance on just about any play. So Iowa does have to be careful of him when trying, when uh, you lose track of him, you give him any space. That's going to be a real issue. You know, and Nakeem Hunt also has great speed. So they've, they've got some, they, they pose some potential issues there. I don't know Wide receiver. They've got a few guys, you know. Again, Deancy and uh, and Danny Anthor. They're both pretty good receivers. They they still, uh, you know, they're they're still recovering though. I guess from if I could say from a few years ago when they lost a lot of really good players.
1: So what do you think? We're looking at here in terms of key matchups and keys to the game.
4: I think number one is this is a classic uh, Norm Parker type defense, if you know, and if his imprints on it, which is bend but don't break. Make them go up the field on you defensively. Don't let them have any big plays. You know, again with most starter or, or you know getting free, and letting anybody run down the field. Now, based on the way the secondary played, I don't see that being an issue. So I think on defense, it's a matter of keep them in front of you, make them go all the way up the field. This is not this is a team that's proven it can't do that, at least the last couple of years. Conversely on offense, it's it's run the football, don't make any mistakes, but also hit an occasional ball deeper. And that doesn't have to be a 40- or 60-yard pass. That's more of a 15- to 20-yard pass, the mid-range game, which seems to have uh, kind of disappeared at times from Iowa's repertoire on offense. So I think if they can somehow stay balanced, run the football effectively, and pass it, I think uh, that Iowa will have a lot of success on both sides of the ball.
1: Have a score in mind?
4: Well, I Iowa is a double digit favorite, which doesn't always lend itself to Iowa, but I, th- I think this game is a double, double digit type win. Right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hedge on 27 17 Iowa.
1: If you're an Iowa fan, you'd like to get away from those one possession outcomes, wouldn't you? That's four straight to start the season, only the second time that's ever happened in Iowa history. Mike Loss, your colleague at the Gazette, asked what I thought was the best question at Parents' Tuesday Presser, which is, you know, how do you explain all these one possession games really during during the entire Ferentz era, and Kirk was obviously uh, stymied. He, he had no answer for that question.
4: Yeah, he was at a loss for words because he, if he could figure it out, he'd do it. You know, and and this is—it's been a weird era. I think that he's had 78 one-one um, possession games in his career, and uh, you know, now I can't tell you how many he won and lost, but most of those have been, and then it shows you that Iowa was able to stay with a majority of its opponents. It doesn't get blown out, however a lot of games where the opponent really sticks with them one way or the other and that's that's what we saw a couple years ago when Iowa last lost to Purdue which was Iowa's was the better team Iowa found a way to lose and that's the danger of, of playing somebody too close.
1: Closing out this week is always a little bit of Big Ten talk after I'm not sure abysmal is too strong of a word maybe but after a pretty poor first three weeks for the conference they came back last week and were 12-1 and overall including big wins for the conference at Pitt, at Syracuse. Indiana upsetting number 19, uh, Missouri. And Nebraska duking it out, (laughs) literally, with Miami and ultimately winning over in Lincoln. The only loss, and this will be about the third week in a row, you see this Michigan team really struggling. You talk about a team that doesn't have an identity under head coach Brady Hoke. So that's a better performance for the conference. Um, And this weekend, pretty much most teams open conference play.
4: Yeah, I mean, going back to last week, it was something that the league definitely needed. I mean, you know, they lost a lot. Of, I think there were 1-10 in 10 to power 5 opponents going into the last week, and they lost those games by an average of 14.5 points. So, it was not a stellar beginning to a league that's really suffering in perception. So, to see Iowa win on the road at Pittsburgh, which was on the cusp of getting ranked, to see uh, Maryland go and, and defeat Syracuse, as you mentioned, uh, Nebraska, you know, at Home, holding serve, but, you know, playing very well and having a terrific performance from Amir Abdullah, it really, uh, you know, allowed the league to kind of strut itself, itself a little bit, which it hasn't been able to do. And then you throw on Indiana beating a defending SEC divisional champion on the road. That's something that they can tout that hasn't been mentioned enough, in my opinion, which is, you know, the, 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 the SEC is inarguably the best league in the country. However, if you look at, you know, again, a, a bottom feeder in the Big Ten going into beating divisional champ on the road, that's something that's to say that uh, you know, it's not as cut and dry as one league is way better than the other. And, but then conversely, Michigan, a, a main program, an elite program in perception and name, to, to not even get into the red zone and lose by 16 points to Utah just shows you that this program is sick. It, it has issues, and I don't think that uh, that Brady Hoke's the guy to solve them. Uh, you know, he's able to take him to Sugar Bowl right off the bat, which led to all kinds his expectations, but he hasn't brought in or developed enough his own players to make a Michigan an elite or a near elite program. And if if, they doesn't, if that doesn't get solved by the end of the year, I mean, you know, he should understand to pack his his uh, office up before he leaves. And then if you're Michigan, you've alienated your fans with a lot of price hikes. They're not selling out your your stadium anymore. You're going to have to bring in somebody who has that kind of cachet. Maybe uh, you know, obviously Jim Harbaugh or Russ Miles is. The mentioned as potential candidates there, I think you got to break the bank and go do it because you're Michigan and you can't afford to be second class in your own division.
1: And last uh, this week, speaking of coaching, with the win at Pitt, which was Kirk's 111th win as head coach at Iowa, Ferrance moved into a tie for 10th place in overall wins at a Big Ten conference school, tying John Cooper, who was head coach at Ohio State, and he's only two behind number nine, Fielding Yost with 113. So you can criticize him sometimes, for maybe the offense being too conservative and having some downs as well as ups in the program but for anyone that's quite an accomplishment
4: absolutely I mean to get 100 wins in college football shows that you're able to sustain excellence or, you know or a high level of play for a long period of time and, and say what you will and we all have said it we you know whether it's fans or media or whomever you know you, you know fans driven you nuts you can't argue with those results I mean that, that's you know right now he's really uh, you know he's making himself into an upper echelon type of coach if i remember right i think every single one of those in this top 10 from fielding yost on is in a hall of fame so does that make kirk a hall of famer i'm stopping short on that one but i think he's capable of it another big 10 title probably puts him there so got a really good run here at iowa and uh you know I, i think the results are are there to show that
0: Have that feeling you were just
4: born for greatness.
0: Just a three man rush again. Wojtek pumps to the sideline, throws middle of the field. I was going to win it. It's picked off by Anthony Gare, who made his first career start today, the sophomore from Texas will deliver Pitt's first loss of the season. C.J. Bethard comes in for the second half and the sophomore leads him to a comeback road victory on the road against Pittsburgh. What an effort by Iowa today. Hawkeye fans have had their hearts racing each of the first four games of the year, all decided by one possession.
1: Our thanks again to ESPNU for the game highlights this week. And thanks, as always, to Scott Doctorman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast. That you'll come back for more and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMic.com. One passion, many voices.
0: Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.